Lots to come on the show today. Thanks for being here. We are going to talk with London Mayor Ed Holder. We are going to talk with Rob McNeil from Stop Maple Leaf Violence. We're going to learn more about ticks. We are going to talk about a brand new prom that is happening. So absolutely jammed. But first off, if you are an administrative professional or an administrative assistant, happy administrative professional or administrative assistance day. We need this day. This is April 24th to realize how important administrative professionals and administrative assistants are. If you think about a a company, a corporation, your workplace as an organism, then it breaks down into a couple of pretty easy to compare sectors, right? You have management, which you would think, well, that's the heart of it. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's great when your managers have heart. A lot of managers do. I would put managers more like the kidneys. Managers are a lot more like, they're cleaning everything up. They're tidying everything. They're making sure that that blood flow that runs through that organism is in the best shape possible. Managers, they're the kidneys, I does the pancreas work in that way too? Can they be the the kidneys and the pancreas? Employees, employees are the muscle, they're the joints. They are the heavy movers, so you need to have good employees, good muscles. The equipment that you use, never cheap out if you own your own business on equipment and tools for those employees. That's your bones. That's the skin of your company. So if you're going to cheap out on that kind of stuff, uh, it's not going to go too well. And then we have the administrative assistants, administrative professionals who are there to greet everybody, who are there to look after everything. I would put them as the heart and the lungs. They are the breath of fresh air as you walk through the door, and they keep that place pumping. The administrative professionals, the administrative assistants, they are the heart and lungs of an organization. And here's another little tip if you're running your own company. If you kind of cut back and you don't use an actual human at your front door and you don't have an actual human as an administrative professional or an administrative assistant, you say, well, you know, there are all kinds of fancy phone answering systems these days. Yeah, that's like having an artificial heart. It'll work. It'll get the job done, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. And eventually, you know what an artificial heart does, right? It wears out. So keep that in mind. Happy Administrative Professional. Happy Administrative Assistance Day. You know what day we do need that I can't find proof of its existence? And I can't believe this. There is a thing. Look at how many days we have. What do we celebrate? National Chocolate Cake Day and National Cross the Street to Give a Stranger a Hug Day. All of these ridiculous days. You know what day we don't have that we absolutely need? At least I can't find it. If you can find it, then please shoot me an email of proof. And you can do that at mike at 980cfpl.ca or give me a call, 519-643-2222. The day that I can't find proof of, National Referees Day. Why, oh why, do we not have a National Referees Day? That is how little respect referees are getting. And without referees... We have no sports. You realize that. You can't have artificial referees. 
And you sure can't count on people to, well, we'll just call it ourselves. We'll call our own fouls. How's that work out? Usually, if you're playing street ball, it takes a couple of punches to the face at some point to figure out some disputes. So, National Referees Day, we do not have this. And you go back to last night. You know who I felt for? Everybody who worked a Toronto Maple Leaf Boston Bruins game. Because immediately Leaf fans, and it wasn't all Leaf fans, it's just the noisiest of Leaf fans, but I'm sorry, good Leaf fans, you get lumped in with those people. They were immediately criticizing the officials. Last night, Boston didn't have a power play. The Leafs were not given a penalty that resulted in a power play last night. So, what gives there? Wow, the Nazem Kadri, no, not the Nazem Kadri thing. That happened very quickly. Don't worry about that. That was a hit along the boards. That had nothing to do with your team being knocked out of the postseason. You could argue the suspension afterward did. But that had nothing to do with your team being knocked out. The officiating had nothing to do with your team being knocked out. And if you are going to criticize officials, then ask this question. Do I watch more than one team play the sport that I watch? And if the answer is no... Well, I watch the other teams that the Leafs play. That doesn't count. You watch other games that the Leafs are not involved in, then you can't weigh in at all. Because immediately you're going to think that, oh, referees are against us. Oh, first of all, not us. You are not a paid employee of the Toronto Maple Leafs. That bothers me too. The we and the us, that's, that's annoying. That's not a thing. That's, that's caught on way too much. You're not a paid employee. You're a fan. That's what you are. And to criticize referees, brutal. Absolutely wrong, because the referees are out there and the leagues are out there spending all kinds of money making sure that things are officiated subjectively, which is the issue, but making sure they're officiated as fairly as possible. Could there be things like Tim McConaughey every once in a while? Yeah, okay. That was in the NBA. There can be. But leagues are doing a lot. So you know what we're going to do? Tomorrow on this show, tomorrow on London Live, we are actually going to talk with someone who is an economist, believe it or not. But he was part of research done on refereeing in the NBA. And what they found was pretty astonishing. You as a police force would want results like this to show how fairly people were being treated. If you could have a study done like this to show the fairness that was being used when dealing with individuals, police forces would love to take this and say, yeah, look, this is this is us. This is what we do. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. We're also going to talk with the director of officiating with the Ontario Hockey League and take a look at some of the processes that go on. So that's ahead tomorrow because I was tired of reading all of the tweets about how bad the officiating was. And then you had the officiating in the Vegas-San Jose game, if you stayed up late enough, where Cody Eakin of the Vegas Golden Knights was given a five-minute major for cross-checking Uh, Joe Pavelski was hit. He fell over. He hit his head on the ice. There was a lot of blood. It was ruled a five-minute major, and Sharks fans uh, were very happy to see their team score four power play goals on that five-minute major. Vegas Golden Knights fans are going insane, saying this is is completely wrong. And Eric Forslett and Dan O'Halloran, or Eric Furlat, actually, was working the game. Eric Furlat and Dan O'Halloran were the guys who were bearing the brunt of all of that. And it was too bad to see. So we need a national... Referees game, uh, National Referees Day, 
and I don't know when it's going to be, in League One in France in 2011. They tried to make a National Referees Day, and that was on October the 15th. It didn't seem to catch on. That was 2011, actually, and I, I don't know where it went. I don't know why it didn't catch on. Let's go to the phones. Bob, how are you? Oh, I, I'm, I'm feeling exceptionally bruny today. <laughs> uh, Everyone who doesn't know should know this right now. Bob is a big Bruins fan, so Leaf fans, just uh, just know that. Bob, congratulations well, to your team. That was a well-earned well, win. Well, uh, look, just uh, just before I get into a little bit here, Mike, I will give hugs to, to the Leaf fans if they want them. I promised that yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, hey, look, <clears throat> I was talking to Matt there, the screener. The Bruins got lucky. Like they, they did. In my opinion, I uh, thought that the Leafs outplayed them. Were a faster team. Ras played his best game of the series, and if he hadn't last night, we probably wouldn't have won that game. Now, the other side of the coin, where the Bruins won, that one shot that went through Anderson, the first goal. I think it was the first goal that squeezed by him in the post, hit his glove, and went through. That was just sheer luck. I mean, that thing just found that spot. It went in. The other goal, the uh, Corelli, I think it was, who the third goal, mm-hmm. uh, he slapped, he, he snapped that one over, which was odd. I thought Anderson with his glove hand would have had that. It was a good shot. It went in. But all in all, Mike, to be honest, and you have to be honest, if the Bruins play that brand of hockey against Columbus, who swept, as you, we all know, uh, and that wasn't a fluke when they swept uh, the Lightning, if they play like that against Columbus and Columbus keeps that intensity and that style of play they beat the Lightning with. We will be lucky if we get a game in. You think so? You oh, think yeah. this, this could be tough on the old Bruins? I, I think so. I think the Bruins, uh, all, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm elated that they won game seven, but believe me, that wasn't a convincing win. And, and the only convincing win in that whole series for me as a Bruins fan was game two. That was the only convincing win where they played the game. I thought. That was their style, and they usually, you know, do well at. But uh, look, when you got a fourth line, the heroes, which is great, but the fourth line won the game last night for the Bruins. So the Leafs shut them down. They shut down the top guys on Boston, and vice versa, I guess, right to some degree. Sure. So, but you know, uh, going on just quickly. What do, you, what do you think about that call in that San Jose game last night? You know what? That's why I want to have National Referees Day, because anyone who didn't see it, it came right off a of face-off, and if you watch it in slow motion, you have a guy off balance, another guy who puts his stick up into his face but or into his chest and knocks him over, but I think as that is happening in real time, that's the right call. That's right. that's exactly the right call. And because of that, you had a lot of power play goals. You have some upset Vegas people, and you have a lot of people upset at referees. So tomorrow we're going to spend some time on referees. Bob, thanks for the call. Enjoy yeah. the well, Bruins and the Blue Jackets tomorrow night. Yeah, just quickly, too. Uh, that was an absolute, one of the, well, probably one of the best comebacks of all time in hockey, obviously. Uh, good. It was a good day for hometown uh, uh, boy uh, Logan Couture. There you go, and and, uh, and you know what, Joe Thornton is on that team yeah. as well. And now we've got Boone Jenner all set. And you no, know, this is this is still going to be a fun playoff. Enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. All right, you too, Mike. All right, see you, Bob. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Maryland people were worried about you yesterday. It is great to have you back here today. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, dear. I'm so sorry that I caused you people worry. Well, as long as we knew you were okay, you didn't cause us worry for long. 
Well, I'm glad I didn't because it was really my cell phone. It kept echoing, and I wanted you to hear what I had to say, so I spoke really slow. Well, you know what? It was great to hear that you were okay. How are you doing today? Everything all right? Oh, yeah. I've just uh, I've, I've been eating Tostitos. I love them. You know the round ones? Yes. Now that Oh, I could go through a bag, a bag of them in an hour. Do you dip them into anything? Do you pick no. up salsa with them? Oh, no. No. No, no just, just plain. plain. Oh, they're the best. Now, I think they should have a national, um, what do you call it, referee's day, because those poor guys are the underdogs. They seem to get blamed for everything. That's it, and that's why I want to see it. Marilyn, great to hear from you. Enjoy your Tostitos. Okay, dear. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, honey. Marilyn is doing just great. I'm all of a sudden hungry for Tostitos. They have the right amount of salt. I don't know what they do with that, but it's the right amount of salt. National Referees Day needs to happen. We're going to talk officiating tomorrow because, yeah, you know what? They do take unwarranted amounts of abuse. I am shocked that we still have enough referees coming up through the ranks with the way that parents treat refs. I am shocked that minor sports still continue. And I'm not talking about minor sports like the Ontario Hockey League or, you know, minor pro baseball, things like, no, nothing like that. I'm talking minor sports. I don't know where we get the officials from because I wouldn't do it. Way too much abuse. It's ridiculous. If you are a parent who does that, you need to be booted. No questions asked. This is not a three-strike rule. If you yell at a referee, you need to be kicked out. You never get to watch your kid play again. That should be the rule. That's the only way to change that stuff. We'll talk referees tomorrow. Up next, there is something very exciting happening that the city seems to be getting involved in. It started at Clark Road Secondary School, and now you wouldn't believe the number of people who have reached out saying, let's make this massive. We'll find out what it is next. This is London Live and Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Have you ever started something and then all of a sudden it gets really big? doesn't happen very easily. It's kind of like that scene in Castaway where Tom Cruise is, is trying to get a fire started. And, you know, he uses that, that big stick and he's rubbing it, rubbing it, and eventually his hands get too calloused, he can't do it. And then he comes up with the idea to just take it small. Take it, start something small. And he rubs on the piece of wood and rubs on the piece of wood, and there's a little scraggle of grass, and eventually a spark catches, and he creates fire. It's like he was way, way back in the Stone Ages creating fire. That was it. Sometimes that happens in life, where you do something and you think, you know, this will be a, a really nice event. And then it gets big. And that's what's been happening at Clark Road Secondary School. Please join us in welcoming Debbie Lee, who is a teacher at Clark Road Secondary School, to London Live. Debbie, how are things? Hello. Things are going well? Things are going really well. We're very busy. And uh, you're right, Mike, it has kind of taken off, and, and we're really excited about the community response. Okay, well, even before we get to that, let's describe what has happened and what you actually started that the community is getting involved in. So uh, a few years ago, as um, part of a team here at Clark Road, we have a pretty big D, uh, DE department. Um, we had talked about a few years ago having a, a prom specifically for our DE students. And now, I mean, I, I need to let you know that, that our students are always welcome at our prom in, uh, in the main school. But 
You know, we just thought for our students we would have something a little special. And uh, so this year I thought, okay, I'm going to do it this year. And um, it's May 31st between 11.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. And uh, we've got about 150 kids <laughs> that um, are coming already with their support workers across the board. Um, so we're just we're really excited about how how much it's taken off. Now, when people started hearing about it, talk to us about how the community started getting involved. What kind of calls and emails were you getting? Yeah, so we've um, we've gotten calls from the Islamic Community Center and the. Um, uh, the the East End community organizations around the neighborhood, around Clark Road, and a lot of, uh, you know, No Frills and Metro, and, you know, uh, people like that have, have called and said, you know, can we offer food? Can we offer, um, you know, whatever you need, what do you need? And so we were just at the beginning, we were just <laughs> hoping that people would donate dresses and suits. And uh, at this point, we've got about 76 dresses <laughs> from the community and um, from just from people from the entire London community calling to say, yeah, I've got a prom dress. Um, you know, I wore it three years ago, but I'm never going to wear it again. Could you use it? And, of course, we're saying, yes, absolutely. Bring, bring us your fancy things because <laughs> our kids um, are just really excited about getting all dressed up and... Um, having a prom just on their own. Debbie Lee joining us from Clark Road Secondary School. Does it have a name and a theme overall? You know, it's it's a nature theme. We're kind of piggybacking on our main school prom, and uh, the main school school prom's theme is is a, a nature, uh, lots of twinkly lights and flowers and plants and and things like that. And and so we're kind of kind of piggyback on theirs this year while we see what the re- what the community response is. Um, but yeah, we're, we're thrilled. Now, you mentioned that you started this at Clark Road, but with 150 people coming, are there other students from other developmental education programs within the city who are coming? Yes. So we, um, I put out an, an email probably just after Christmas and said, you know, this is what I'd like to do. Um, who would like to be involved? And so I, I sent emails to all the DE teachers across the board, and um, the the response was really uh, amazing. So everyone was really into it. They they wanted this to go ahead and happen. And uh, so we we started from there, and we um, ha- have asked for donations of you know, various things, suits and shoes and purses. And, you know, it, it, the, the response has been amazing. If someone is hearing you now and is thinking, you know what, I do have an old prom dress or, you know what, I got a suit that I don't wear anymore or yeah. doesn't fit, yeah. can they still donate? We'd love it. We'd love it. Just drop it off at Clark Road Secondary School in the main office and uh, know, that, know that it's going to a student that... Um, is just really thrilled about going to their very first prom. Fantastic. Like you say, you know, students are always welcome to go to the other prom that of is course. being held. Do a lot of them not go? Is that why this becomes a little bit different? Um, some of them do go. Um, you know, parents are always a little bit worried about about our DE kids going into main school dances and things like that. Um, you know, just 
because they need extra support around toileting and feeding. And um, so someone has to be there with them, whether it's a parent or a teacher or an education assistant. Um, and, and this way, we're going to have about 150, 200 people that are just helping everyone, that, you know, we're helping put makeup on and dresses and suits, and um, everyone is supporting everyone on that day. Great stuff. Love yeah. the story. Thank yeah. you so much for helping us to tell it, Deb. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for uh, being as excited as we are. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Debbie Lee, Clark Road Secondary School, on a prom that is being put together for developmental education students, and it's going to happen May 31st, and it is the first of its kind, and the community is picking up on this, and it's becoming a fantastic event. So congratulations. That's that's taking something that you think, yeah, this this will just be a little thing, and all of a sudden it gets a whole lot bigger than that. Well, there's an issue that came up a while ago. It kind of comes up a lot, and it usually grows into something that sparks and flames and sometimes even burns at people. And that is counselor pay increases. They have to happen. Cost of living continues to rise. So this latest one, well... It is happening. It's 2.3%. But if you have seen any tweets by London Mayor Ed Holder, you have seen him state very clearly that he wasn't really in favor of the way this was being carried out. What does that mean? What do you mean he wasn't in favor of this? Well, we'll talk to him about that in about 10 minutes. London Mayor Ed Holder will join us on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We talked about this earlier this week. If aliens ever did find us, and you've got a lot of scientists now saying, yeah, if we were going to see something, probably see it by now. Maybe life just is that rare in the universe. Maybe we are it. I don't know. I don't have any proof. But here's a little something that does make you wonder just a little bit, just just. Just to, I'm sure this can be explained away. I don't know whether it ever will be. That'll probably be classified. And if we were to learn it, we would have to be killed. And I don't think we want that. But here it is. It's coming out of Politico. And Politico is a website magazine. They've been around for a while. And they deal with politics and policy in the United States. So it's not like The Onion or anything like that. And what they have done is they have stated that the U.S. Navy is coming up with new guidelines for personnel to report encounters with, quote, unidentified aircraft. And this is not just somebody saying, you know, I better justify my job for a little while. You know, I'm going to write a report here. And that report is going to outline what we can do for UFO sightings. Yeah, that'll keep me in business. Has nothing to do with that. It seems that this is in response to what Politico says is a series of sightings of unknown, highly advanced aircraft intruding on Navy strike groups and other sensitive military formations and facilities. And that the Navy is not endorsing the idea that its sailors have encountered UFOs of an alien kind, but they say there's been enough strange stuff going on that they actually need to record all of this stuff and study it rather than just dismiss it as, again, what Politico says is kooky phenomena from the realm of science 
fiction. Right now, what they do is they kind of ignore everything instead of exploring things. What they'll probably find is that it's another country that is zooming in and taking pictures. Because what is the United States likely doing? I don't know this, but how many trillions do they spend on military every year? What are you putting that into? What exactly are you spending all of that on? Some of it has to be on spying, doesn't it? Am I just watching too many movies? Am I not watching enough movies? Maybe that's the problem. Never been a big James Bond fan, but maybe that's that's what they're up to. They're spying on people. They're spying back, and they all come up as UFOs, and we create a whole new branch of work studying the UFOs. We'll keep you posted. Up next, we're going to study in a small amount the increase in remuneration for London City Councilors. We are seeing pay increases, and these are the second set of pay increases in a short period of time. I want to talk with London Mayor Ed Holder, who tweeted something this morning that was very, very interesting. And it, you know, it goes, it goes based on how he has been dealing with this issue all along, but he tweeted, I did not... Re- Sorry, let me start again. I did not support this at the committee level, and I did not support this at council last night. It's about timing. This 2.3% increase comes too soon after the raise that went into effect in December. So that's coming from London Mayor Ed Holder. We're going to talk about pay raises and other things as the mayor joins us next on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. In about a half hour from now, we are going to get an update on an appeal that was launched back in January. And the appeal basically comes now from a group that calls themselves Stop Maple Leaf Violence. And it deals with the construction of the Maple Leaf plant. And it looks at some of the concerns that we need to have, that they feel we need to have, Uh, with regard to some of the wastewater that is coming off that. We won't be able to talk with a city spokesperson on this because it is before the courts, but we do have information from the City of London that kind of updates things as well in terms of, of, you know, what the concerns are and, and what the company is being asked to do, that sort of thing. So we'll update all of that coming up after 2 o'clock because this this has been a bit of a contentious issue. Uh, It brings in jobs, sort of. I mean, we're not necessarily seeing new jobs necessarily, as a lot of the reports go, that we are seeing a a transfer of other employees from other spots. does bring people here, not creating new jobs necessarily in a great number, but we'll see what exactly comes about with the appeal that is taking place, and we'll just get an update on that. It's been a few months, so time to look into it again. Something that does come up quite regularly that I'm sure city officials would rather they didn't have to deal with is pay raises for city councilors, because these things are approved by city council. And that's, we always look at at the optics of things, and the optics of this could not ever look worse, but somehow they can never look better. Yeah, we have to uh, work out how much we need to be paid. Wouldn't we all love to have meetings like that? Well, you know, it, it wouldn't work out all that well. I'm sure we'd price ourselves out of business very, very quickly. 
with City Hall. They deal with the big budget, so they know exactly what percentage is there. You're trying to keep up with the cost of living. You're trying to attract good people. You're trying to do a lot of different things. And we still have part-time counselors in this city. And at the same time, you have to say to other people, mm, we're not going to raise wages here, there, and there. But, yeah, we, we've got to look after this. So the optics are difficult. And we read a tweet from London Mayor Ed Holder before we went away to break. And I'll, I'll just read it one more time if you are just joining us because London Mayor Ed Holder is about to join us. And it said, I did not support this at the committee level. I did not support this at council last night either. It's about timing. This 2.3% increase comes too soon after the raise that went into effect in December. Because right now we're looking at city councilors having their pay bumped from, what were we looking at? Somewhere around 35, 36,000, up over 50,000. Now this adds an extra 2.3% on top of that. Joining us right now to talk about that and a few other things on this Administrative Assistance Day and Administrative Professionals Day is London Mayor Ed Holder. Mayor Holder, how are you? Mike, I'm well. How are you? Not too bad. It is Administrative Assistance Day. We were just mentioning that a little while ago on the show. Uh, how many administrative assistants does a mayor have? Well, you see, that's a, a thoughtful question because we don't really have anyone with that title. But if, if the question was, how many people work in support of the mayor? More than 2,000 people because, frankly, I've got all of uh, our great uh, administrative staff at City Hall who... Uh, who just actually their their job is to support the working of of the city, which is including the political direction. So, I'll I'll, I'll take two thousand. But in my <laughs> actual office, in my actual office, I have uh, five individuals who work with me, and how lucky am I? Because they're really bright and uh, and committed. So, and so I'm going to go over to Razzle Dazzle Cupcakes. I'm going to do that because it's our shop, and I'm just going to get some fairly shortly and bring them over just to say thanks to to my to my direct staff not to the 2000 don't tell those people uh, we, we won't say anything <laughs> we, we promise but they know they know the important job that they play now does it, this could go two ways you could think wow i've i've got 2000 people that i kind of have to be accountable for and that that can get kind of unnerving and then at the same time you could say i got 2000 people helping me out it feels like the ultimate security blanket well, you know, it's interesting. When I was in federal politics, Mike, uh, and became Minister of Science and Technology, one of the things that was really clear is that we had a civil service that was second to none. They were really, really good at what they did. And when we created, for example, Canada's Science, Technology, and Innovation Strategy, the support that I had from all levels of that department were amazing. And it's the same here at the City Hall. In fact, I, I, I think there's a really great comparison. So you've got really committed people, people who genuinely care, people who do a great job, and honestly, they uh, they 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 make our world and politics a lot easier by virtue of how, how hard they work and how much they care. London Mayor Ed Holder with us. Mayor Holder, you could say the same thing about city councillors for the work that they put in away from the scenes, for the amount of meeting time that they have to spend in order to make a city run. At the same time, there's always that thing in politics or really anywhere, optics and, and how things come across. When you look at some of the responses to the 2.3% increase in pay for city councillors. Uh, the optics, it hasn't come across all that well. This was something you didn't support to begin with. Why was that? Well, let, let me come back to the first point that you've made, which I think is the right point, that uh, I, 
I think our, I, I know for sure our city councilors work tremendously hard, and, and, and I'm not sure that it, it's always as appreciated as it might otherwise be the amount of time and commitment that they put into this. It's, uh, I'm so impressed with the commitment, and what I've really appreciated since I've been mayor now for uh, just shy of five months is just some appreciation of, of, of the real work that our council does. They work hard, they have varied opinions, but they come together for the city's sake. So let me just say that as a backdrop. And as it relates to the whole issue around the uh, uh, the, the pay uh, increase and the vote that was passed last night, uh, some of the quick background on this is that uh, there was a an independent group uh, led by uh, Dan Ross, really res- respected uh, uh, business person, retired lawyer, who, who created an outside task force to look at the whole compensation issue for council. And the decision was made to. Well, there were two parts to it. I think one was to remove the uh, the tax-free uh, component. If you recall, we had a one-third tax-free um, uh, portion of our salary, and then beyond that, there was uh, a feeling that uh, by the task force that there were, that there should be an increment uh, to the to the pay that was done to be effective December 1st, and uh, that was done with the additional portion that there would be uh, increases uh, on an annual basis uh, based on uh, cost of living, and that's the piece that that was dealt with last night. And, you know, it's an ugly issue when you're asking councillors in one sense to vote their own increases. There's no win for a councillor on this. And while I did not support the... uh, the position simply because it was so close to the the uh, the large pay raise that was uh, incorporated in the recommendation of the task force and approved at that time. Uh, I also recognize uh, the arguments that were made that that under it was understood that this would also include uh, the annual uh, increases uh, based on cost of living that were uh, put in place that would be effective uh, uh, after after it was approved. So. What you have is a situation where the council approved last night uh, the t- a 2.3% uh, increase uh, retroactive to January 1st. From my standpoint, with the December 1st uh, uh, increment, I just felt it was too close. And, uh, and yet I do support the notion of having an automatic arrangement like this. I just felt it was too close to the December 1st payment. I just didn't think that was right. Uh, council uh, chose otherwise, and uh, you respect the will of council. What timing would have been better? I mean, is, is there a rule of thumb for a passage of time? No, there's not. Uh, but I would, I, I would say because the major increase had happened as of December 1st, I was prepared, and what I'd recommended in committee and spoke to it at uh, council last night was that we would defer the increase this year so that, uh, so that it would really take effect of January 1st the following year. Uh, I felt that was appropriate. Uh, I felt I could rationalize it and have that so that we don't go through the bloodletting that uh, we do at council uh, whenever we talk about pay increments. It it is the most uh, uncomfortable issue to deal with. There has to be a fairness piece to it. I get it. Uh, And so it has to be voted on by council. Uh, The irony is it's for council's benefit, so it does make it awkward, and I heard that last night clearly. Uh, I would have waited a year, but uh, council chose otherwise. We're talking with London Mayor Ed Holder. Mayor Holder, in so many ways in business, you can, in subcontract stuff, you can send things out to different committees, you can have somebody help you to make a decision. 
Is that something that can be done with regard to pay raises? Or like you say, because it ultimately has to be approved by council, it, it ultimately is going to wind up in council's lap? Well, ultimately, that's uh, it's always going to end up in council's lap. Uh, but in fact, we did that. Uh, the prior council had used an outside uh, uh, group, uh, independent of council, to come up with a, uh, a series of recommendations and ultimately, they accepted those recommendations. Whenever this issue comes up, Mike, I have to tell you, I know that it invariably has to come back to council, and there will always be this discussion, what uh, what council was trying to do and what I think the outside task force, when it looked at it from the prior council, was to put in a formula that would be, uh, that would be reasonable and, and you wouldn't have to go through this process, as I call it, of bloodletting every year. But I suspect you can't avoid it because every year council will have to agree that it's a reasonable thing to do. And I, that, that's fair. I think that uh, that gives uh, individuals an opportunity to weigh in. Uh, at the same time, I think it gives a, uh, a formula base for council to determine whether that's appropriate or not. And uh, I think last night was an indication that the majority, not all, but the majority of council felt that it was fair. One more question, because I, I can hear how busy you're going to be after we finish our conversation, but that is full-time counselors. That's something that does tend to come up when we're talking about how much counselors should receive in compensation. Has that been a topic at all with this council? It's been, uh, Mike, it's been touched on as to whether or not uh, there, this should be full-time counsel. I will tell you that the that the uh, that the makeup of the uh, fifteen of us, uh, I am the formerly the only full time uh, member of council, uh, formally. But there are a number of councillors that put in time, certainly equivalent and more to uh, than than full time. And most uh, councillors get to forty and plus, uh, whether they're full time or part time. But we have individuals, prob- several, certainly four or five who have uh, full-time positions independent of their uh, their council position. So while the issue has come up, it hasn't come up as an agenda item to discuss uh, formally. One of our councillors has, has brought it up at a committee at one point, and uh, at this point I don't know that there's been an appetite to deal with that uh, fully. There's a lot of issues that we have to deal with as a council from an economic prosperity standpoint. Uh, from the standpoint, you'll know that we've just dealt with the issue around transit, and that's still an ongoing process. Uh, I unveiled a jobs, uh, London Jobs Now program uh, to get 13,000 Londoners to work over the next three and a half years with support of council. So with all of that, that's a lot on our plate. And then the third component, of course, is looking after London's most vulnerable. So there's a lot going on uh, that, uh, that has really caught the attention of council. We just finished our four-year strategic plan, which becomes the roadmap for council. Beyond that, we now will uh, be engaged in our multi-year budget uh, process led by uh, Councillor Josh Morgan. So there's a number of things that we are uh, in the process of doing. I don't think this is high on the uh, appetite to deal with uh, from a, a council standpoint. Gotcha. Mayor Holder, thanks so much for the time. Mike, appreciate the call. London Mayor Ed Holder, a little bit of background on his thoughts on the pay increases among city council and full-time councillors. That seems to be pushed off into the future quite a ways. Let's take a break. We'll let you know what's still to come on London Live in a moment. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Been walking through the woods yet? It's kind of drying up. We're at that deceptive time of year, aren't we, where you think, you know, I'm going to walk across that patch of grass. Oh... 
Soaker. And then if you go out in the woods, yeah, it can be a little muddy. If you go out in the woods one day, I don't know what the rest of that rhyme is, uh, Jeremy Hogavine would like to tell you to be careful because tick season has arrived, and we'll talk about what you can do if you do find ticks on your body. First, get them off. You don't want to risk Lyme disease, but there's more that you can do. We'll learn that in hour number two, and we'll get an update on an appeal from Stop Maple Leaf Violence that deals with the coming maple leaf plant and get a sense of what maple leaf must do in order to abide by city regulations as well. That story comes up after news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up tomorrow, I want to draw your attention again to something that I think we should all start jumping up and down about. Do you believe that there is something that is not where it should be or not how it should be done? We need to jump up and down. Now, I don't mean on social media because that just gets annoying. Social media, not necessarily the way to get things done. It's the way to just talk about getting things done. I don't think this will ever get things done, but... I do believe we need a National Referees Day. Why don't we have that? No one's been able to find one. If you can find one, please let me know. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca or call 519-643-2222 if I'm missing missing this. Because I've looked. I really have. The best I could come up with was League One in France back in 2011 had a National Referees Day on October 15th. It was kind of a game promotion. More than anything else, they just honored their referees, but it never caught on. All kinds of hatred for officials in the Toronto-Boston series in the National Hockey League, and then hatred for Eric Furlat and Dan O'Halloran, who worked last night's Vegas-San Jose game, in which a five-minute major was called against Cody Eakin of the Vegas Golden Knights, and San Jose scored four power play goals and ended up winning the game in overtime. And thought that, wow, that shouldn't have been that... You know what? If you were the referee, you would have probably called it the exact same way. And we spend too much time criticizing officials. Is there any way? See, I put it too bluntly maybe last hour saying if you criticize a minor official. So if you're at one of your kids' games and you yell at a minor official, you you should be kicked out. And I still believe that. I don't have any tolerance for anybody who yells at a referee, be it an adult referee, be it a young referee. I don't care who it is. We're lucky to have referees. We don't have referees. We don't have games. We don't have sports. It's part of it. And personally, I know some referees, but I'm not doing this because someone in my family is a referee. That is, this is, I just believe it's time that we do something for the referees, have a National Referees Day where it would be across all sports. We don't have to have National Hockey Referees Day and National Umpires Day. And I wonder if there is a na- – I bet you there is a National Umpires Day. I'm going to look that up. But tomorrow on the show, we are actually going to look into something that I found absolutely fascinating. Our news director, Scott Monick, put me on to a podcast, and it's done by Michael Lewis. You know Michael Lewis, author of Moneyball? And – It starts off, I haven't listened to the entire cast of episodes yet, but the first one is called Ref You Suck, and it talks about refereeing, but it looks at the NBA, 
and it looks at what the NBA has been doing to ensure fairness among every team in the way that their games are officiated. And you would not believe the length and the money that is being spent in order to make this happen. And there was a report that came out years ago now, but it's, it's I believe, been updated. We're going to get more information on that. And it took a look at NBA officials and how they were behaving, how effective they were, took a look at a racial component to see whether there was any favoritism going on, even by race. And so we're going to have one of the authors of that report on the show tomorrow. And I'm eager to see what they come up or what they have come up with. Because we tend to think, and and maybe it's the idea that certain sports fans only watch their team. And if you only watch your team, you are going to believe that the officials are against your team. That's not a thing. Officials are not against your team in any way. It would be, you know, the, the thousandth percentile that you would have to find in order to say that was a bad call and it was because you don't like my team. You know, I can't say it's never happened before because I know for sure it has. It's been proven in the NBA before. But overall, stop thinking that the refs jobbed you. It didn't happen. This is not a thing. And along with that conversation that we have tomorrow, we are also going to hear from Ted Baker of the Ontario Hockey League. And we'll, we'll go through how they actually put together a suspension in a league. And I hope that by the end of it, we all get a whole lot of insight into the world of officiating and regulating in sports. That's my hope. And maybe someday have a National Referees Day. I'm thinking we might have a National Umpires Day. I'm going to look that up. Let's take a quick break. Up next, we're going to talk about a different side of things in which someone believes something is being done wrong and they're speaking up about it. An appeal was filed back in January, and the appeal dealt with the coming Maple Leaf plant that is going to be opened in this area, a little south of London. And Rob McNeil is with Stop Maple Leaf Violence. So we'll update you on that appeal and some of the concerns that still exist. And then we'll get a City of London perspective on this. Now, because this is before the courts, we aren't able to talk with a City of London official directly. But I was able to get information from the City of London that pertains to this issue. And I'll bring that to you as well to try and present both sides on this. This is London Live, and you're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, I've looked, and by looking in this case, I didn't make any phone calls. I didn't have time. I Googled. I can't find National Umpires Day. It should be there. National Referees Day should be there. If you feel something is not what it should be, then you should speak up about it, right? Well, that's what our next guest has done. Not about referees or umpires, but about the Maple Leaf plant that is coming into being in this area. Rob McNeil is with Stop Maple Leaf Violence, and we're going to talk about an appeal that was filed back in January, get an update on that, and what Rob believes is a situation that needs to be talked about. Rob, how is today going for you? 
I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks. How are you? Not too bad. You are playing the old waiting game right now based on an appeal that you launched back in January. Let's turn back the clock because we have the power to do that on the radio. Let's go back to January and look at what it was that you were concerned about with regard to Maple Leaf. What was it? So, yeah, we could turn the clock back just a little further to December when uh, this bombshell was dropped on London that uh, this plant was going to be built. Um, It turns out that the designs and the plans had been done two years earlier and that the city had got the property rezoned down on Wilton Grove Road there, uh, essentially in secret, uh, applying to itself to rezone the property. Um, They had to... uh, put in some environmental applications to be able to build the plant. They did that in November, and in early December, they grudgingly had an open house down at Lamplater Inn. Uh, we found out about it at the last minute. We, we kind of mobilized, went down there and, and talked to them. There was a very peaceful uh, disruption by, by a group as well, just uh, wanting to understand what was happening here. Roll forward to uh, January. The uh, environmental applications were rubber-stamped, despite uh, a large number of comments from Londoners. And uh, I chose to put my name on it to, to appeal the plant, because they need an individual to, to, uh, to launch a leave to appeal. Uh, our concerns are mainly environmental and also speciesism. We're talking with Rob McNeil, and Rob is with Stop Maple Leaf Violence. Take us through that title, Stop Maple Leaf Violence. Where does that come from? Well, we, um, we went lovingly to the open house and asked them to consider uh, building a plant-based protein factory instead. Uh, it turns out they were working on that, and they've actually just announced that they're, they're building one of those in the United States. We would have loved to have seen something like that here in London. Um, but it, essentially, it is violence to take the life of someone that doesn't want to die. And uh, if they're not willing to build a plant-based protein instead and look to the future, because that's where the future is, then we we want to stop the violence that's going to be coming to our city. Rob, i got to play the other side of this, too, because that's kind of what we have to present here. If you look at manufacturing and you look at the market, we've got chicken all over the market. You've got people who want to buy chicken. You've got people who want to eat chicken. What do you, what do you say in, in that kind of a stand in terms of the fact that this is an industry, it is a successful industry? It is successful, in part due to government subsidies and the government controls. First of all, I'd like to say eat chickens. Um, I think language is important, and I think if people realize that what they're really doing is eating an individual. Uh, I spent 49 years eating these individuals. It's only in the last two and a half years that, that I went vegan. Um, but these are individuals. And, uh, yeah, manufacturing jobs, that's where we always kind of go back to and say we must have more jobs. But... These jobs are not the kind of jobs that Londoners are going to go to. Sure, there'll be some administrative jobs, but um, no, not many people in London are going to want these slaughterhouse jobs. So I personally led a tour through major slaughterhouse towns in the United States last year, um, towns like Dodge City, Kansas, where 20% of the, the town works in two major cattle slaughterhouses. And these towns are not, not the London that I moved to from New Zealand 30 years ago. These are, these are not places, this is not the kind of London that, uh, that you want to see coming. The Canadian Meat Council has asked for residency rules to be relaxed so that we can bring in refugees to work on the kill lines because they can't find enough Canadians that want to work in these jobs. And that's, you know, imagine being a, 
uh, refugee with PTSD being asked to move to Canada, and your only way to get in is to work on the kill floor and, and uh, take lives. It's not my London. We're talking with Rob McNeil, and Rob is with Stop Maple Leaf Violence. Okay, Rob, let's let's go back. You mentioned that an appeal was filed. Now you're in a waiting game. What has happened in the period between filing the appeal, which, again, refresh our memories, was designed to do what? The uh, applications were to be able to take eight, up to 8 million litres of water per day. That's per day. Um, and run it through the slaughterhouse. Slaughterhouses use massive amounts of fresh water, and that in turn will generate 8 million litres of sewage, which will be processed by the city. The city is going to do all of that work. They're just going to take essentially the chunks of bodies out at Maple Leaf and then send the rest kilometres through the city, over the Thames River and into city sewage treatment plants. So they needed environmental applications for that. They needed approval to be able to vent carbon dioxide in the gas chambers. Um, A lot of countries now have biofuel rules and recovery of this stuff. Maple Leaf isn't doing any of that right now. They're looking to to vent the carbon dioxide that's used to kill all these birds into the air twice daily. So they needed uh, approvals for this, and that meant that there was a, a posting on the Environmental Registry, which meant there was room for public comments, and now an appeal. What's happened since that appeal, I've had multiple uh, uh, contacts from lawyers from Maple Leaf and the Ministry of Ontario. In the last week, they've sent me about 1,300 pages of rebuttals to my request to appeal. Um, I don't have the resources to, to fight it at that, uh, at that level. High-priced lawyers from Toronto. Um, the forces seem arrayed to probably deny our leave to appeal. All we really want and wanted was our specific ask was for environmental hearings. The fact that the city rezoned this in secret and that the ministry is rubber stamping this thing, we think that there should be hearings. That was our ask. Okay, so you're not asking for things to be stopped immediately, that sort of thing. You would like hearings. What would you like to, to have go on at those hearings? Uh, just a public discussion of the impact that this is going to have on the city and, and uh, Ontario and Canada. The government has put in... $50 million between the feds and the provincials uh, to this plant, this plant that makes billions of dollars every year. The city is spending well over $30 million in uh, sewage widening. They need bigger sewers to run all this uh, bloody sewage through. Uh, bigger water mains, road reconstructions. They extended um, airport roads there essentially just to get to this plant and some other businesses as well, but it's, it's all designed around Maple Leaf. We want to talk about the kinds of uh, future that we see for London, but specifically, how can how could this plant, this massive plant, be approved in secret, and and you know essentially be looking like a done deal without public input? Rob, thanks so much for the time today. Oh, you're very welcome. It's uh, worth noting a couple other things if you just have a second. That yeah, uh, absolutely. The, the land that they chose for this is uh, it straddles an environmentally sensitive Dingman Creek that they're going to run stormwater in to. There were 30 um, nests of endangered, uh, threatened barn swallows on the property. They knocked that barn down a year ago and replaced it with two little birdhouses, one of which is right next to the road they're going to build where 50 trucks full of chickens are going to go every day. And this is supposed to, you know, when when these poor birds come back from South America, they're going to live in these tiny birdhouses, apparently. Um, There are indigenous artifacts found on that property. That um, that we should have concerns over. There's just there's just so many reasons that we need to talk more about this plant, and I'd really like people to 
go to that Stop Maple Leaf Violence page and just and just have a look uh, at what's going on there. And, you know, call your council if you have some concerns. Okay. Rob, thanks so much for presenting this for us. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Mike. Really appreciate it. Rob McNeil from Stop Maple Leaf Violence. So there you have some of the concerns that he has, and we boil it down to a question that we boil down to an awful lot, and that is manufacturing versus nature. And yesterday on the show, we talked about $100 million that was being given to help preserve basically private settings of nature, a lot of them being in southern Ontario. And... You know, it, it's it's a difficult balance, always has been. You take a look at when a subdivision is created, what happens? Well, you have to find land. Well, what is that land being used for now? How much farmland has been sold off in the last little while to create subdivisions? An awful lot. Absolutely an awful lot. So we're in a situation where... This is proceeding. It has been approved. Now, I did ask a few questions of the city, and I'll, I'll just take you through what I asked. Again, this is before the courts, so they can't say an awful lot about it, but I did throw a few things in front of the city uh, asking what guidelines are there for any business that's expelling water or waste. Uh, for example, if a new high-rise goes up, you have sinks, toilets, all adding to wastewater. Uh, is there a chance there would be a runoff that could make its way into the Thames? Uh, how does the system deal with the addition of wastewater when you've got a new plant like this going in? And what I was told was that when the deal kind of went through, municipal services that were provided were connection to a 900-millimeter diameter trunk water main and then connection to a sanitary sewer, connection to a regional stormwater management facility. And I have from the city that the discharge from Maple Leaf is expected to be in compliance with the city's waste discharge bylaw and that all municipal services provided are sized appropriately to accept their water demands and discharge contributions. So that's what I have been told from the city, that they can handle the runoff. And then you do get to the environmental issues. And that's that's essentially what Rob McNeil had been asking for. Can we have environmental hearings? Can we can we have people look into things, whether it is the barn swallows that become disrupted, whether it's Dingman Creek that becomes a concern? And that's what the appeal is there for. What you heard Rob say is that he's received 1,300 pages from lawyers. So it's the old game of... You've got some pretty highfalutin lawyers. They're able to say, here's a whole lot of paperwork. And, okay, if you want to continue with your appeal, you can. And, and it's a difficult situation to be in. But that's the crux of it right now. That is the update on that appeal situation from Stop Maple Leaf Violence. Did get a note from Rob, and i got to thank Rob on this. Here is my question. Is there a National Referees Day? Rob has found one. And we just missed it, it looks like. Um, man, how did I miss this? I feel bad. Canada announces National Officials Day back in 2013 on April the 17th. And this is actually coming from the Canadian Sport Institute that the estimated number of technical officials in Canada who come under the jurisdiction of national sports organizations is about 250,000 from back in 2013. 
150,000 are registered. And then you've got 650,000 Canadians who perform some sort of officiating duty each year. And so Sports Officials Canada is inviting, at that point, all organizations and groups to plan an event for April 17th, 2013, to recognize them. Now, I can hardly remember what I had for breakfast this morning. Remembering whether or not this took place on 2013 is far beyond my capability. But are we having National Officials Day on April 17th still? Because if we're not, that should be the day. Here's another organization then that we have to get in touch with. Because, yeah, this, this should be an annual event. We've got to find a way, and this is the reason I'm venting on about this, we've got to find a way to bring some kind of respect to officials. Because even though you can prove that some of the big leagues are doing more to make their games more fair, the respect factor is lessening. And the way that some of the stars behave creates ways that kids and parents behave. And that's unfortunate. What the referee says is what the referee says. And now we've got replay. Would you like to be doing your job and have somebody be able to to roll it back and say, well, you see what you said here? You know, you started that sentence all wrong. You should have started that sentence way, way differently and roll it back and show you that at the end of the day. You can do that with an official. You can point out every single mistake they make. Okay, National Officials Day. Rob, thank you. We might be on to something here. We are going to talk referees tomorrow. Up next, want to talk ticks? Yes, yes, we need to. We need the reminders, and we certainly need to know what to do if we find a tick. If you're out in the woods, you find one on a pet, you find one on you. You don't want to mess around with these things, and they're hard to remove. And if you leave them there, and should they be a transmitter of Lyme disease, that's definitely something you do not want. Avril Lavigne has actually just released an album that a lot of the songs deal with what she went through in in dealing with Lyme disease and things like that. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Thanks to Rob. I've been able to check up a little bit more on National Officials Day. It looks like it didn't catch on. They tried it again the next year. They tried it the year after that. And there was at least a little promotion. But, yeah, I I don't see it. Although Scott has tweeted me the same sort of thing, that we do have National Officials Day. And this one comes from Basketball Canada. How recent is this? It uh, doesn't say. doesn't say. Yeah, April 17th, National Official Day in Canada. We need to do more to promote this. Look, it's April 24th right now. What were you doing a week ago today? I don't know. I was getting some lunch, I guess, and just kind of hanging out. It was okay. It was, I think it was a good day. It was last Thursday. I don't know. Were we respecting officials? Were we recognizing officials? I don't think we were. Need to do more to get this out there. Absolutely need to do more to get this out there. We've got to get some other information out there, and we're going to work on that next. Uh, Tis the season for ticks. And if you're out for a walk, it's something you've you got to do. you got to go out for walks. we got to get out there and enjoy the outside. We don't get enough months of that. That's why AAA and AA baseball do not work in Canada. They require you to give up too much of the nice weather to go and watch baseball. Never works. Never That's why AAA and AA baseball fails in Canada. Weather is too nice. 
during their seasons and too rotten during the winter. So you'll be going out for walks, taking the dog. You checking for ticks? I don't want to check for ticks. I don't want to have to do that. Well, there's a reason that we do need to. And we'll talk with Jeremy Hogavine, vector-borne disease coordinator with the Middlesex London Health Unit, all about it next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, more investigating of National Officials Day. I'm still thinking it's fizzled. It's not National Officials Day. It's National Officials Day. It's it's kind of it didn't didn't catch on because it was created in 2013, and there's a lot of talk about 2013, but there's not a lot of talk about anything recently. I don't I don't th- does that happen though? I mean, National Chocolate Cake Day, whenever that is. Reason we even got on in this conversation was it is Administrative Professionals Day and Administrative Assistance Day. And we really do catch on to that every year, as we should. So we set off the start of the show. If you're going to turn your workplace into a living organism, management, that's the kidneys. They keep everything clean and and keep the blood circulating. That's good. Uh, the employees are the muscles. Your equipment and your tools, that's your bones and skin. And the administrative professionals and administrative assistants. That's the heart and lungs. They're the breath of fresh air when you walk in the door and they keep everything pumping. So what we got onto was that we needed a National Referees Day. And it's been pointed out on Twitter, it's been pointed out by email that we do have National Officials Day, but it was 2013 and I don't see anything recently. Need more affection for officials. Time to start getting that going. We also need to make sure that we are checking each other over like the gorillas that you see in the zoo. You know, everybody walks up to the gorilla exhibit, and what are the gorillas doing? They're picking stuff off each other, and a lot of times the one that's doing the picking is also doing some eating. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say you have to eat, but we need to pick things off. If you are out for a walk and you get bitten by a tick... Things can get really, really bad, and that's something that we do need to be aware of each and every time this part of the year comes around. We're at spring, and we're outside, and we're trucking through forests and other uh, treed areas. Jeremy Hogavine is the Vector-Borne Disease Coordinator with the Middlesex London Health Unit and is here to talk ticks. Jeremy, how are you? Not too bad, Mike. How are you? Well, not too, too bad. I kind of looking up my arms, and I, I went walking through the woods recently. I, there's an itch on the back of my neck. Now, that's, that <laughs> seems to be okay because we start thinking about tick season, and those things are out there. How visible is a tick if it actually does get on you or on your pet? Well, it, it kind of depends on the, on the type of tick. Um, locally, we find uh, basically two, t- two species of ticks. We have the black-legged tick, um, which is one that can transmit Lyme disease, and then we have a, a, a dog tick as well. Um, the black-legged tick sometimes, unfortunately, can be the size of a sesame seed. Uh, so it is very small, and it only starts to get a slightly bigger when it starts to feed, uh, and maybe up to the size of an apple seed at most. Uh, and the dog, see, or the dog tick you start to see, uh, it starts about the size of uh, of an apple seed, but then gets to, it can grow to the, maybe the size of a, a raisin or a, a, the head of an eraser. Okay. Now, that's 
that's still not very, very big. So if we're looking at, at those two ticks in particular, is either one more dangerous than the other, or do they kind of come in the same category? No, definitely one, one is more of a concern than the other. Um, the dog tick, um, which is the most common tick we find here, about 80, 85% of the ticks we get from within Middlesex, London are dog ticks. Uh, and those cannot transmit Lyme disease. So, I mean, it's no fun getting bit by a tick, obviously, but if you are, that's, that's the one you want uh, locally. It's the black-legged ticks that, that we're concerned about. Um, and out of about uh, 350 submissions last year, um, to the health unit, we had only uh, 29 of them came from within Middlesex, London. So we are seeing that uh, the, that population of of tick uh, species starting to rise slightly. Um, still, definitely not as uh, big of a risk as some of the other areas in the province. Though we're talking ticks with Jeremy Hogavine, vector-borne disease coordinator with the Middlesex London Health Unit. Jeremy, when you say Lyme disease, Lyme is always associated with a lot of great stuff like key lime pie or different flavors of beer that have lime in them. It's fantastic for patios. Lyme disease is something you do not want. How bad can Lyme disease be? Uh, yeah, left, left untreated, it could be quite debilitating. It, it, it really uh, does a, a, a number on your joints, your muscles, um, and things like that. You, you're very tired, um, loss of energy, loss of appetite. Um, but it, it, it is something that is very easily treated uh, if caught early. Um, so it, basically, in order to get Lyme disease, uh, you have to be bitten by a black-legged tick. Um, one, the tick has to actually have the bacteria that, that uh, causes Lyme disease. And two, it has to be attached for at least 24 hours. So the, the main point here is to getting, getting that, that tick off yourself within the 24-hour 24 uh, time period. Um, so, you know, if you are out hiking or camping or even just gardening in the backyard, if you could check yourself over or check family members over and remove that tick uh, in a timely manner, uh, the risk is very, very low. Okay, well, that's good news. Now, removal of the tick. This can be a, a little bit tricky because <laughs> those things can get their little heads burrowed in there and you don't really know notice it, and then you go and kind of rip them off or flick them off, and sometimes that head stays in there. How dangerous can that be? Uh, it's definitely something that you want to get out. Um, it, again, depending on how long the tick was attached, um, that bacteria has to move from, from the gut of the tick up to its mouth. So um, definitely getting all parts out is, is important. Now, in terms of how to remove them, is, the, is there a way to do it? Do you grab some tweezers? Can you use your fingers? Do you have to find a friend? Uh, well, it, to be honest, we've heard a lot of, uh, a lot of ways out there, home remedies, um, trying to remove ticks. But in all honesty, the best way to do it is just to use a, a set of tweezers, grab as close to the, the head of the tick and your skin as possible, apply some pressure, and just pull straight up. Um, the last thing you want to do is agitate that tick. Um, unfortunately, it could result in it, it could regurgitate into your into your body, and that's what you're trying to prevent from happening. So, getting that tick close to the head and firmly pulling up and uh, and pulling it out that way, and then uh, cleaning it up with soap and water um, definitely uh, will help as well. Jeremy Hogavine with us, vector-borne disease coordinator with the Middlesex London Health Unit. And then normally, you know, you slap a bug or something like that. The, the thing that you do is flick it onto the ground, or if it's in the house, you'll throw it in the garbage. You don't necessarily want us throwing that on the ground or in the garbage. What should we do if we do find a tick? Yeah, so there's definitely two ways to kind of to go about doing things. 
Um, here at the Halcyon at our 50 King uh, Street location in London or at 51 Front Street in Strathroy, we have an office where ticks can be dropped off. Um, we do accept ticks only that have been removed from humans. Uh, so what we're looking for is if you do have those ticks, you can bring them into the health unit. We can identify them, usually within two or three business days, and then get back to you on what kind they are. Um, and if they are ones of concern, uh, they, we actually can send those off to uh, the laboratory in Winnipeg where te- they'll test that specific tick for Lyme. Okay. Now, can pets get Lyme disease, or can they be seriously infected with anything because of ticks? Yeah, I know ticks can get Lyme disease, um, but there's definitely, uh, I mean, obviously speak to your vet uh, with, with those concerns, but I know there's, there are some pre-treatment uh, uh, options for, for dogs as well, and, and I know a lot of the vet services in the area offer testing and uh, treatment as well. And as much as you don't want to necessarily wear long clothes if you're going hiking in the woods or gardening, uh, ticks don't get through the long clothes, do they? No, they're... It's uh, ticks are very smart. Um, they don't run. They don't fly. Uh, they don't jump. Uh, basically, they hang out on the, the trail edges and in the bush or uh, long grasses and wait for you to walk by, and they attach themselves, basically like Velcro. Um, and they do make their way somewhere uh, usually hidden in your body. So they're in smart in terms of getting into your armpits, your scalp, behind your ears, uh, your your stomach. Um, basically places you can't look. And when they bite, they release a bit of an anesthetic. See, you don't even feel them biting you. Uh, and the fact that sometimes they can be the size of a, po- a poppy seed, it is really important to take those precautions. And, you know, tucking your pants into your socks, tucking your shirt in, uh, wearing long sleeves, uh, it definitely goes a long way in stopping that. And the light colors help you, uh, you know, kind of pick up the tick on your walking around on your clothes before it makes its uh, way to onto your body. And the other thing you can do, too, is if if you are out in those areas a lot and, you know, after you've checked yourself over, um, have a shower. That'll wash off any of the, the ticks that haven't attached yet. Um, and then also throw in your clothes in the dryer uh, for a good half an hour will, would, would knock down and kill anything there, too. Perfect tips. Jeremy, thanks so much for the time today. Happy tick-free summer. Yes, definitely. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we don't run into too many. Jeremy Hogeveen, vector-borne disease coordinator with the Middlesex London Health Unit. So you don't want them. And honestly, be careful pulling them out. Like he says, get the tweezers. If you do have one embedded in you, you don't want that head to get stuck. So as weird as it sounds, you know, pull it straight out. Get that head out of there. Same thing with your pet. And if it is in you, make sure you get that to the Middlesex London Health Unit so that they can keep that data on whether or not we do have Lyme disease producing ticks in the area. We probably do, but the more data they have, the better off we all are. We'll take a break. Up next, we're getting close to a pretty exciting day in St. Mary's. We'll fill you in on that as we close out the show. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. This Saturday... Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum is reopening its doors to the public. Happens Saturday morning. They have been closed for renovations, and they have been doing an awful lot of renovations. And their director of operations, Scott Crawford, joins us now. Scott, the heavy lifting in this renovation project would seem to be over. Is all the heavy lifting over? It, it sure is. I mean, we're so excited to finally be getting open this weekend, and and uh, it's it's been a long time coming, and and but it, it looks amazing in here, and people are going to love it. Okay, 
Anybody who has been to the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum before needs to get a picture in their head right now about what you remember. How different is it going to be walking through the doors now? It's 100% different. I mean, there's nothing that looks the same. It's it's obviously the new addition is brand new, and the old building, if you are in the building before, it's 100% redone by professional museum people, and it's going to blow people away when they walk in. So you have added on thousands of square feet. You could say a 2,500-square-foot addition. What is that going to allow you to do? It allows us to do a few things. One major thing is it allows us to store and uh, our collection. We have a huge collection that wasn't being stored necessarily 100% properly, and, and now it can be as a proper storage and archive space, along with a research library that's being run by the uh, Center for Canadian Baseball Research Individuals, and it's going to allow people to research baseball with original documents all the way back to the 1800s. So. That's pretty exciting, and the other half of the expansion was the, uh, it's a visitor's lounge. It's, it's set up specially. It's going to be a yearly sort of rotating exhibit and uh, places where people can talk baseball, watch the induction ceremonies, and uh, and also rent out that area. That is tremendous. Okay, so all of this is set to open very soon. When is the exact moment that people can head there and check it out? Saturday at 10 a.m. we open our doors to the public, so it's April 27th, and we're open 10 to 5, um, Saturday and Sunday, and then the season starts, we're open every day but Mondays, and we're open 10 to 5 each day, so we're we're pretty excited for this Saturday to finally have the doors open and be able to show off to the world what we've been accomplishing the last year. Scott Crawford, Director of Operations with the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. In terms of of new memorabilia that you've picked up in the last while, anything that, that you're waiting to unveil to the public along with how things look at the museum? I think the coolest thing is, prob- you know, this year's inductee class, you know, Rob Thompson and Jason Bay, Ryan Dempster, and Gord Ash, we have their items on display, and, and probably the neat- the thing people will find the neatest is the uh, 2009 World Series ring that Rob uh, gave to us for the summer to put on display, and it's it's, uh, it's a Yankee World Series ring, so it's got lots of diamonds, and it looks pretty, pretty darn nice. And you look at 2009, that's that's when those things started to get really, really big. <laughs> they did. This is quite a... Quite a large one, and uh, you'll, you'll definitely see it when you go to the museum. <laughs> well, just one of the many things that you're able to see. Uh, Scott, in terms of being able to, to do this and knowing that St. Mary's is the home of the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum, what does that mean? It means, you know, we're, we're able to... You know, we're, we're here and we're able to, you know, we've shown off our, our stuff. We've shown we can expand. You know, we've almost tripled the size of the building. We have the four ball fields going strong. And, uh, you know, with over a thousand events here this summer on the fields. And uh, it really it really just shows that we, we accomplished great feats and, and we can keep things going strong. Well, congratulations again Saturday, 10 a.m. Doors open. You will be able to see the brand new Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum, a grand reopening. Scott, congratulations again. It's been a lot of hard work, but you've done it. Perfect. Well, I appreciate it, Mike, and I uh, hope, hope you come out and everyone else that come out, uh, come see us this weekend or this summer sometime. And the other thing we should mention is the date of the Hall of Fame ceremony. When is that? Yeah, it's Saturday, June 15th. It's going to be the induction ceremony right in our site, uh, you know, with Ryan Dempster, Jason Bay, the two players, Gord Ash, the executive, and uh, Rob Thompson, the coach. So it's good. we had all facets of the game covered again this year, so it's going to be a great weekend in June 15th. Scott, have a great afternoon. 
Perfect. Thank you very much. You too. Scott Crawford, Director of Operations at the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. So later on this week, we're going to be in conversation with Fergie Jenkins. How nice is Fergie Jenkins? If you've met him, you know he is one of the nicest people ever. And he's on vacation right now, but he's been such a part of the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum that we wanted to talk to him ahead of the grand reopening. And he's been nice enough to stop his vacation and talk to us. So that's coming up a little later on this week, likely tomorrow or Friday. Also tomorrow we will talk refereeing and we will also outline a vigil that is taking place to recognize the lives lost in the bombings in Sri Lanka. That is coming up tomorrow as well. We've got news ahead with Matt Trevithick. I want to thank Matt McInnes for all of his help today. London Live is brought to you by our friends at Courtesy Ford Lincoln, 684 Warncliffe Road South. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.